Hear now the gospel of Jesus Christ according to John. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that God gave God's one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Let us pray. Pour out your spirit on us, God. Fill us with the knowledge of who you are, that we might be drawn into heavenly places to dwell with you and to pour love and grace into this world on your behalf. God, hold me up that I might lift you up. Amen. For God so loved the world that God gave God's only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 According to Bible Gateway, the world's most often visited Christian website, this is the number one most popular Bible verse in the United States. It pops up everywhere. We see it all the time, don't we? We see it on t-shirts. We see it on keychains, on pop sockets. <laughs> you see it at football games, in baseball games, on bumper stickers and billboards. John 3.16 is lifted up all over the place as foundational to the Christian understanding of faith. It's become shorthand for Jesus saves, which I won't argue with. And, though, I wonder, when you pluck one Bible verse out of Scripture and reduce it to a bumper sticker or a slogan that for some sums up the entire Christian experience, I wonder if we risk reducing faith to an intellectual response to a true or false proposition meant to determine our eternal destination rather than experiencing faith as a life lived growing in relationship with a God that is revealed to us through Jesus Christ that forms us into the people that God created us to be and equips us for the purpose that God has in mind for us. By receiving and beginning to experience right now eternal life. And that's the primary reason we said we church, right? We said that we church in order to live into our God-given identity and purpose. Today is the second of two Sundays that we're spending considering the question, why commit, in follow-up to our worship series, Why Church, where we were considering and continue to consider church as a verb, as something that we actively do or participate in. 
Now last Sunday, we reflected on the metaphor that Jesus uses relating the vine grower to the vine to the branches, or God to Jesus to those who follow Jesus. We talked about how essential it is that all three remain fully committed to one another if the vine is to bear any fruit. And the fruit that God calls us to bear is love. Well, today, we consider the relationship between God, Jesus, and those who follow Jesus through a different metaphor. Today, we consider what it means to be born again or saved. Now, to get a better handle on the way John's theology unfolds, we need to back up just a little bit in the story. Because it's really helpful to know who Jesus is talking to here and why. Jesus is in Jerusalem during the season of Passover, which in the life of a Jew is a high holy time. This is when the story that is foundational to their understanding of how God saves is remembered and celebrated. It's the story of the Exodus when Jesus delivers the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. Now, since arriving in Jerusalem, Jesus has had a few encounters between him and some of the religious leaders there. Jesus has challenged some of the theology and religious practices of some members of one of the Jewish religious groups of the time called the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees advocate for the practice of temple cleanliness rules and other rituals in their homes. They want temple practice and holiness to be a part of their everyday lives, which is not a bad thing. I mean, we said that worship is meant to shape how we live our lives in and out every day. Similar concept, really. However, some have begun to practice these principles to such an extreme that they compromise the love that God calls them to for the sake of keeping rules. Now, this frustrates Jesus. Pharisees are not representative of all Jews, not even most Jews, and not all Pharisees, like in any group of people, not all of them understand and practice their faith in the same way. Take Nicodemus, for example. He's a Pharisee, and among the Pharisees, he's a very high-ranking member of the Jewish ruling council, according to the Gospel writer. He has observed Jesus and his teaching and ministry and his frustration with how some among the Pharisees practice their faith. And he's come to Jesus by night as a representative of some among the Pharisees who are convinced that Jesus is at the very least a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs that you're doing if God were not with you, Nicodemus reasons. Now, what you need to know about John's gospel is that signs, what the other gospel um, writers most often refer to as miracles, are a big deal. Because in John's gospels, it is these signs, in large part, that through which Jesus reveals God. And that is Jesus' purpose in this particular gospel, to reveal or glorify God so that we come to know God, which is salvific for this gospel. To know God is the definition of having received eternal life. 
So Nicodemus knows that there is something about Jesus. Somehow, he is uniquely connected to God. At the very least, he must be from God, because how else could he turn water into wine? So Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night because he and the others that he represents, they want to understand. They want to see the connection, but somehow the truth about who Jesus is won't quite come into focus. Their vision is just a little blurred. So Jesus' response to Nicodemus completely blows his mind. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Which is of absolutely no help to Nicodemus. In fact, it only adds to his confusion. How does that work exactly? Nicodemus is scratching his head. He does what many of us do. We trip over a literal understanding of Jesus' words sometimes and miss the true meaning. I'm an old man, Nicodemus says. How can I possibly re-enter my mother's womb? This is when the conversation gets really interesting. Jesus starts riffing on the concept. If you want to see, Jesus says, much less enter the kingdom of God, God's heavenly realm, you must be born again. Not only born of flesh, but born of the spirit. And then the spirit, that sends them off on a whole nother tangent. Here's something that you need to know in order to navigate John's gospel. John is a huge fan of irony. He uses it all the time. And one of the ways in which he expresses irony is by using words that have double meaning, which doesn't always translate very well into English. So in this case, the Greek word, anothen, can be translated as again, as in born again, or it can also be translated as born from above. Now the problem is most Bible translators limit themselves to only one of these understandings when they're translating this passage. So we lose the irony that's generated by the play on words. And it's this irony in part that carries Jesus' train of thought. So for example, the New Revised Standard Version sticks with the translation from above throughout this passage. And the New International Version, which I read this morning, sticks with born again. But in order to follow John's theological argument, you need to know that when Jesus uses the word anothen, he does so intentionally because he means both. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, God's heavenly realm, you must be born again. That is not only born of flesh, but born from above, of the spirit. And then... Spirit, which in Greek is pneuma, also means wind, which does come through in our translation. You have to be born of the Spirit, and y'all, the wind, it blows where it may. We don't have any control over that. Which finally brings us to the beginning of our passage that we read today, where Jesus makes it crystal clear to Nicodemus that he's got a big problem. Because no one, Jesus says, has ever gone into heaven 
No one has ever entered God's kingdom, God's heavenly realm, except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. So that's a lot of information. <clears throat> Let's do a little review. Nicodemus wants to understand. He wants to understand who Jesus is and what his unique relationship to God is. He wants to see more clearly. He senses that there's something vitally important about how he is related to God. He wants to know the truth about who Jesus is to come into focus. But... Turns out, the only one who sees, who has seen heavenly things, is the one who came from heaven. And Nicodemus can't see unless he's born again or born from above, whatever that means. I bet Nicodemus wishes he'd just stayed home. What's he supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? So here's another thing that you need to know about John's gospel. The lens that best brings John's theology into focus is the gospel's prologue. John sets up a very particular understanding of who Jesus is from the very beginning of his gospel. And it turns out, according to John's theology, you cannot separate who Jesus is from what Jesus does or how he saves. The very first verses of John's gospel go like this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And the word became flesh, and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. The only one who has seen and knows heavenly things is the one who has come down from heaven, the word made flesh, Jesus, God among us, to live with us. It's through this one that God is revealed that we might know God, which is to experience eternal life. Because God so loved the world. God didn't want to be God without us. So God brings heaven to earth. God shares eternal life with all of us in Jesus Christ. In John's gospel, eternal life is not some future destination determined by our intellectual consent to a yes or no proposition. It's not our commitment to a proposition. It's our commitment to a person. It's a relationship. And it starts right now. To know God. This is eternal life. And the minute your eyes are open, the minute you see, you step into it. 
You begin to live it. Why commit? Because God so loves us. God commits God's whole self to us that we might commit our lives to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and be saved. In John's gospel, you cannot separate who Jesus is from what Jesus does. Just like you cannot separate who God creates us to be from what God created us to do. When we have a committed relationship with a loving and gracious God, and we remain in the one who reveals that God to us, we live fully into our God-given identity and purpose and bear much fruit. We pour love into this world that God so loves. Amen.